Your choice is simple. It is not between Charles A. Lindbergh and Franklin Delano Roosevelt. It is between Lindbergh and war. How does fascism spread? How does dictatorial power, forced suppression of opposition, and authoritarian ultranationalism evolve from campaign slogans and promises to presidential declarations and actions? Well, a fascist empire isn't built in a day, and this series showcases through the altering of history how America becomes corrupted over time, how hatred takes root and spreads, infecting society with its sickness. Fascism is a disease. But for populist leaders like Charles Lindbergh, it's a tool by which the masses can be controlled. It plays on the fears of the ideological right, passing off racism and xenophobia as respectable political principles, and it makes scapegoats out of the marginalized, in the case of the plot against America, the Jews. Charisma and charm can go a long way in normalizing hatred. Lindbergh utilizes his heroic stature as the aviator war hero to convince people through populist rhetoric not to be afraid to wear their biases outwardly, under the guise of speaking for and trying to protect true Americans. His campaign speeches are filled with anti-Semitic overtones, ones that aren't all that subtle, and he paints Jews and incumbent President FDR as being war agitators, stoking the fires that will inevitably bring about his victory. Lindbergh also uses figures in unique strategic political positions, like the conservative Southern rabbi Lionel Bengelsdorf. The rabbi's endorsement at an American First rally serves not to convince the Jews that Lindbergh isn't an anti-Semite, but to convince the Goys, the non-Jews, that it's okay to vote for him. All doubt of the unadulterated loyalty of the American Jews to the United States of America. And so I offer my support to the candidacy of Colonel Lindbergh because the political objectives and purposes of my people are identical Who the hell do you think you are, Moses? Our religion is independent of any piece of land other than this great country to which we commit our total devotion and allegiance as the proudest of citizens. I want Charles Lindbergh to be my president, not in spite of my being a Jew, but because I am a Jew, an American Jew. This act itself is another step in the process of normalizing hatred through isolationist, anti-war ideology. It gives people permission to be their true, selfish selves, and they act in accordance to this on election day as Lindbergh unseats FDR once again, alternate history. The prospect that this type of campaigning is powerful enough to even win elections unfortunately isn't as novel to many as it once was, but it's one thing to rise to power and prominence. It's another to, once given the reins to that power, systematically enact your total will on the lives of others. Government programs like Homestead 42, an expansion headed by Rabbi Bengelsdorf under Lindbergh, work in relocating entire Jewish families. There's also programs like the Office of American Absorption and Just Folks, which take Jewish boys to live with families in the South and Midwest as some form of Americanizing them, an initiative whose striking similarities to Hitler Youth can't go unrecognized. An undercurrent throughout the series is the lasting effects of propaganda, especially on young people. 
Sandy, for example, is entranced by Lindbergh, sketching him in his planes, attending his speeches and rallies, participating in his programs. This act is in defiance to his father Herman, who consistently speaks ill of Lindbergh and his anti-Semitism. But Sandy doesn't see that. The youth are impressionable and rebellious, and where Herman and his wife Bess see the specter of fascism, Sandy sees a hero, Lucky Lindy. Absorption. So we need to be absorbed, do we? We're not American enough yet? Living on Summit Avenue in the city of Newark, in the state of New Jersey. I'm not American enough? Or your mother, or you, or your brother? This is just a great opportunity, and that's all. It has nothing to do with anti-Semitism, if that's what you think. It doesn't. This is just a great opportunity. I want to go to Kentucky, and I want to live on a farm, and I want to draw those things in those places. They're not sending you to draw. Don't you understand, Sandy? This is what Nazis do with their Hitler Youth ideas. They turn children against their parents. You're not going. You're scared of anything you don't know. And you're scared of anywhere you haven't been or anyone who isn't Jewish. Is that what you think? The plot against America also details the different ways in which members of the marginalized react to living in a post-FDR, now Lindbergh, America. Some people, like Alvin Levin, raise arms and fight, enlisting in the Canadian army to, quote, kill Nazis. This idea of identity being the central driving force to one's ambitions and motivations is something extremely profound. And as Alvin becomes increasingly disillusioned by the idea of being American, of being a part of a country that doesn't love him, he holds on stronger to his Jewish identity. I believe in my father, who was a Jew. And in his father, a Jew. And his father and his father and all the way back to whatever the hell tribe was wandering around the desert when someone had the bright idea to trim off the end of his prick. <laughs> so it's about family. Yeah, it's more than that. I'm a Jew because I was born a Jew and this whole fucking world wishes I wasn't. They want us gone. All of us. And they drive themselves crazy because after all this time, they still can't get rid of us. Herman holds on to his Jewish identity as well, but he also maintains this wistful belief and hope in a greater good. When the initial election looms and Lindbergh begins gaining favor, Herman insists to himself and his neighbors and his family that no one would vote for such a hateful, anti-Semitic figure. It's almost too obvious and too blatant. But he underestimates the desires and the beliefs of many people in the country, placing so much faith in an electorate system that should get rid of him. And once Lindbergh rises to the presidency and it becomes open season for the Jew haters, the structures that Herman once thought would uphold democracy begin Officer, to fail him. You had no right to remove me from that hotel where we had a reservation and a room. Look, the manager already returned your deposit. He even packed up your belongings for me. Because we're Jewish. That's what this is about. Herman, let's just go. Mr. Taylor has found us a room nearby. No. This officer knows why we were evicted. He knows. The manager knows. I think you ought to listen to your wife. Eleven. Leave the premises. Before you wear out my patience. But Herman is also given an opportunity. Escape. In response to the growing uncomfort and rise of fascism in the U.S., 
many Jews flee to Canada. An idea floated several times to Herman by Bess. But Herman is hard-headed and above all else, proud to be an American. His version of fighting for something he truly believes in is maintained by standing his ground. To flee to safety would be to let the fascists win. To have to give up his home to hatred and bigotry would hurt more than anything else. This is an inherently complex issue. To stay where you're unwanted is a grueling prospect, and desperately trying to repair and live in a home infiltrated by hatred will always be incredibly difficult. Haughty idealism and unwavering pride in taking this kind of action may be moving and inspiring, but when it comes to protecting your family, a base-level imperative for many, how can you not give ground? That's the fascist linchpin. They make the circumstances of marginalized life so unbearable that often the only choice left is fight or flight, where fight so often results in death. The plot against America is a plot from within. It takes the fears inherent in bigots, and like a disease, it spreads. To every far-reaching corner it can, until there's nowhere left to run or hide for anyone else. But it isn't just a relic of the past. The growing specter of fascism looms today, with alt-right groups gaining more dominance in the aftermath of the Trump election. I'd be beating a dead horse to reiterate the fact that racial tensions are high, and xenophobic nationalism is being excused more and more as a reasonable ideological framework. The differentiating between who the true Americans are and aren't feeds on people's desire to otherize, make distinctions between who is good and who is evil. What can we do? When the place you so readily and perhaps pridefully called your country during childhood or adolescence reveals itself in all its dark history and dark present to be a hot belly for discrimination, the fight for desperate change is a gruesome one, in which the opponent isn't easily defeated. Fascist powers are like a hydra, cut off one head and two grow in its place, making the prospect of curing a diseased nation seem that much more unlikely, and the idealism centered around escape and exodus that much more desirable. I don't know that the fight against racism and xenophobia and blind nationalism is a fight that will ever be won, at least not in my lifetime. But regardless how futile the fight may seem, it's a necessary one. For as long as there have been hate-based groups and individuals, there have been activists and revolutionaries, people committed to the fight against totalitarian evils, sacrificing their own lives in the process of saving others. So, for better or worse, I cling on to the hope that these sacrifices weren't made in vain. To the hope that freedom isn't just a dream imbued by relics of the past, but a reality of the distant future. Mind Theater is produced and written by me, Ao Akingbade, in collaboration with Muckraker Media. To subscribe, look for Mind Theater on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For updates on the show and upcoming episodes, follow Mind Theater Pod on Twitter. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.
husband has a lovely singing voice. Many years have passed since I strolled by the river, arm in arm with my sweetheart by my side. It was there I tried to tell her that I loved her. It was there I begged of her to be my bride. Oh, the moonlight's fair tonight along the Wabash. From the fields there comes the breath of new mown hay. Through the sycamores the candlelight is gleaming on the banks of the Wabash far away. There will be no encore.